Well, good morning again, Cross Point. It is so good to see you. How many of you are glad to be here this morning? Amen. Amen. It's good to see you. Uh, it's, it's one of the most special times of the week for me to come and just uh, be here with my faith family. It's good to see you this morning. We're so thankful. Um, I want to start out this morning by recognizing uh, that we have all been through uh, really a very emotional week. Uh, I, I don't think we need to, to just sort of move into the message today without first talking a little bit about this. I mean, because of the election that we had this past week, we've We've had a very emotional week, and we've seen a lot of stuff on social media and different uh, conversations that we've had. It's, it's very obvious that, that, that this has been an emotional week for us. One of the things that I'm, I'm very thankful for about Cross Point Church is the reality that we are a very diverse church. We're very diverse racially. We're di- very diverse in many different ways. Uh, but also, we're very diverse politically. And I just want to—I uh, want to say that you know, as as I think about that, as I thought about that over the over this last week after the election, and just seeing everything sort of unfolding, uh, I began to realize and 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 saw a need to really remind us here this morning that we have a tremendous charge to remain unified because of Christ. We we are we our identity as followers of Christ Jesus and as a a body of Christ is to. Our identity is found in Christ, and, and though we may be very diverse, uh, I realize that some of us in this room, uh, after the election, uh, they, they may have realized that the election produced uh, a very desirable outcome, but for others in this room, it was a very discouraging outcome. And so my hope and my prayer as we prepare to dive into God's Word this morning, we continue to seek uh, Jesus and, and to worship Him and to lift His name up and to bring glory to him is to recognize the reality that we are called to be one as the body of Christ. We are called to be one as a faith family. One of the passages of scripture that I was sort of reminded of as I was thinking through this uh, is Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 which reminds us this. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is uh, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so my prayer is that as we continue to move forward in life, as we continue to do life together, as we continue to, to, uh, to, to move into a new year and a new season in our life, I, I pray that our prayer together would be one of unity, one of coming together and celebrating more importantly than anything else in our life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let us pray and let's prepare our hearts for the message today. We're kicking off a new series, and I'm very excited about that and just just really looking forward to diving into God's Word with you together. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you, Father, for just all that you are. We thank you for your presence in this place, and Lord, how we have an opportunity each and every week to gather together. Lord, I'm thankful for the diversity of our church. I'm thankful that we can come together and, Lord, be unified by a common common denominator. And that denominator, that unifying peace to our life is Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that our identity is in him. And so, Father, I pray that as we continue to live our life, as we continue to, to follow you, as we continue to carry out the vision that you have given us as a 
as a faith family, Father, I pray that we would be unified by your Holy Spirit. God, we would be brought together. Lord, as we prepare for a season of giving, as we prepare for a season of thankfulness, Father, I pray that our hearts would be inclined toward you. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for all the life change that we see taking place on a daily basis in this place. I'm thankful for the the life change that we see happening all around us. I'm thankful for the reality that, that people are discovering you as their Lord and Savior and finding that their hope lies with you. Father, I'm thankful that we have an opportunity as the church to be the hands and feet of Christ Jesus. And so, Father, there's just so much to be thankful for this morning. And Lord, as we prepare to dive into your word, I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to set aside every distraction in our life at this moment that we may hear from you. Lord, we love you and we pursue you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the deepest convictions that we have here as a, as a church is, is the reality that in everything we do, in every worship service that we have, every song that is sung, every prayer that is prayed, every sermon that is preached, we, we pray that through our efforts, that our hearts and our affections would grow closer to Christ. We pray that in everything that we do, that people would come to know him more, and as they come to know him more, their hearts and their souls would be stirred by the presence of God. That's our conviction. For us as a staff, we talk about this quite often. Our desire is not to come in here and to offer some sort of performance or an opportunity to go to church, but rather to come in here and to praise God for who he is, to praise God and to lift up his name high, to be thankful to our Savior for all that he has accomplished for us and ultimately bring glory to God through everything that we do. That's our desire. That's our deep conviction. I pray on a daily basis for myself and for you that God would shape us and mold us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what my prayers are every morning. That we as a church would become more and more like Jesus, that we would take on the image of Christ Jesus as we live out our lives as followers of Christ Jesus. That's my prayer. That's my hope. This morning, we are launching a new series that we call Share the Season. And no doubt, we're going to be talking about the opportunities that we have to give during this holiday season. But you know, one of the greatest treasures that we have to offer, the greatest treasure that we have to offer, is Jesus Christ himself. For us to go out and to give others Jesus so that they may have the hope and the and, and eternal salvation that we find in Christ Jesus would be the greatest gift that we could ever offer to anyone. No doubt, this is a time where we can give some very tangible things like food and clothing. It's a, it's a time of the year where we can, we can give some very tangible things to help our fellow neighbors. But the greatest gift of all that we can give is no doubt Jesus Christ. And so throughout this series that we call Share the Season, our hope is to walk through 
over the next eight weeks several characteristics of who Christ is. Because the reality is as we become more and more inclined to know Jesus, as we become more and more familiar with who Jesus is, that we would understand clearly how blessed we are to have him in our life. And because of that, knowing that this is the greatest gift that we could give, that we would be more sharing of Jesus throughout the holiday seasons. That's what this series is about, looking at the characteristics of Christ and seeing why we are so amazingly blessed to know him. This morning, the message is titled, Jesus is Capable. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going this morning, Matthew chapter 1. And we're looking at verse 21, just one verse this morning to sort of kick this series off. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Now Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is the, is the first book of the New Testament. And it was written by Matthew, and, and, it, and it was written in a very orderly and concise way. Matthew was a man who was very much attuned to the attention to detail. And so as he writes, we see this very concise and orderly gospel being presented. The gospel begins with the lineage of Jesus. And many of you, if you've read through Matthew, you might, you might have skipped over that because it just seemed sort of boring as you read through the many different names uh, as it describes the lineage of David. And maybe you read through it once, but you've never gone back and read it again. And there's a lot of good stuff there. But, but we see Matthew begin with the lineage of, of Jesus. And, and as we read through that, we eventually get to the place where we see the story of Jesus' birth take place. Oftentimes during the Christmas season, this is a passage of scripture that, that many people preach from and go to because it is uh, dealing with the birth of Christ. And that's what we celebrate during Christmas is the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we see this unfold. But the purpose of Matthew, the purpose for its writing, the reason why we would want to study the Gospel of Matthew. This purpose is centered on proving that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And that's very significant for us to understand. Now, you know, as we dive into this this morning, you know, we are, we are talking about uh, something really amazing. We're looking at this, this story beginning to unfold, the birth of Christ. And right after Matthew has walked through this lineage of Jesus and he begins to tell the story, he starts, out, he starts out telling the story of how Jesus' mother, Mary, a virgin, was, was betrothed to Joseph. He, she was engaged to be married to Joseph. And what happened was, just before their marriage, is she was found to be with child. She was conceived uh, supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we, we see this virgin uh, who is now carrying child. And the scriptures tell us that Joseph, when he found this out, he was, he was planning to very quietly divorce Mary or to separate from Mary, to just sort of go their separate ways. This was not something that he was very happy about. And the scriptures tell us that in the, in, in the night, in a dream, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and he said these words to him. Matthew 1, verse 21, he says this to Joseph. He says, she will bear a son, talking about Mary. She will bear a son, and you shall call 
his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. I want to read that again because I don't want us to miss what's taking place here. In Matthew's gospel, verse 21, we read where the angel of the Lord says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. I love the certainty of this verse. I love the certainty. I love the the certainty of this verse, the confidence that flows from this verse. Notice it says here, the angel of the Lord says, he will save his people from their sin. There's no maybe here. There's no possibility here. It's a definite. It's, a, it's something that is going to take place. He will save his people from their sin. The certainty of this verse is very encouraging to me because one of the things that I begin to recognize as I read this verse is this reality that, that if you're going to have that sort of confidence, if you're going to be that certain about things, then no doubt Jesus not only would desire to save his people from their sin, but he is also very capable of saving his people from their sin. Otherwise, this statement could not be said. He will save his people from their sin. I love the definition of capable. It says this. It says, capable is having the power and the ability to do a particular thing or achieving a task proficiently. I love that. Having the power or the ability to do a particular thing. Growing up in my house, there wasn't many Saturday afternoons where my dad and I weren't watching college football. And I know that that's uh, still a common pastime uh, today. Many of us are, are kind of glued to our phones or, or our televisions watching college football today. My dad had graduated from the University of Georgia, and so we were sort of Georgia Bulldog crazy around our house. And so on Saturday afternoon, it, it, it was almost never that we didn't have the TV on or at least the radio if we were out and about. We were listening to the game because we just had to keep up with it. It was also during the Herschel Walker days. How many of you remember Herschel Walker, the greatest running back that ever lived on the planet? Some of you, that just shows you how few older people we have in our church, right? So, uh, uh, but, but Herschel Walker was one of those running backs that was like a freight train. He'd just run right over you if you thought you might tackle him. But anyway, it was, it was during this time, and we would watch uh, football all the time. We were just sort of engrossed with it. And, um, and, and I just loved watching this take place. As I watched football, just about every Saturday, I, I would look at the TV and I would think how wonderful it would be to be able to play on the team. It was, it was not really a dream because uh, I didn't have neither the size nor the talent to do it. So it wasn't like it was an aspiration, but I did think how it would be really cool to have the size and have the talent to be able to play football at a college level. I just, I just thought it'd be wonderful if I could be on the team. But I didn't have the capability of that taking place. 
It wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't because I wasn't uh, a, a fan of sports. It just, just, I wasn't gifted in that capacity. Now, this morning in our text, we're not talking about football. We're talking about something much more important than that. But we are talking about the reality that Jesus is capable and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the reality that, that there is so much that we could say in regards to Jesus being capable. But this morning, I'm going to focus on the reality that, that he saves us from our sins. That, that, that Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, tells us that he came, and that he came with this promise to us that he will save his people from their sins. And that's where I want us to sort of hone in on this, this morning as we dive into trying to understand this more. You see, Jesus was sent to accomplish a task that no one else could accomplish. You see, we recognize that sin is an issue in our life. We recognize that aside from Christ Jesus, we are, we are eternally separated from God. In fact, the scriptures teach us this. In Isaiah 59, 2, it says this. It says, your sins, it is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen. Romans 6, 23 starts off saying this. The wages of sin is death. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that includes every one of us. And so you see here, we have this, this bit of a problem. We have this problem. And, 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 and so as we, we look at this, we, we hopefully, for all of us in this room, there is some desire to be saved from this eternal separation, from this wrath of God. There is some desire to be saved from there. And the truth of the matter, what Scripture points out to us, is that Jesus is capable of saving us. In fact, it says he will carry this out for his People. And so we, we begin to see this playing out. Here's the good news of all of this. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us never forget that we are in a desperate need for Christ in our life. Amen? Not just for salvation, but for sustaining our life. We, we are in desperate need of Jesus in our life. Our country is in need of Christ Jesus. We are in need as individuals for Christ Jesus. We are in desperate need. And there may be a whole world of people out there that don't recognize this or deny this, but this is the truth of God's word which we believe. And so here we begin to see that there's a real problem. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 though, tells us something. Though we may not be capable of our own salvation, Jesus is in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's very clear that it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we have this predicament that we are eternally separated from God outside of Christ Jesus, that we can't save ourselves. And so we're in desperate need of Jesus to come into our life and to accomplish this for us. As I look at this text and I think about all that it's really saying to us, I'm reminded of several things that Jesus is capable of. 
As I look through Scripture, I see there are many things that he is capable of. I want to offer to you this morning several of these. The first one is this, is that Jesus is capable to rescue. Jesus is capable to rescue. I don't know if you've ever thought of your salvation as sort of a rescue mission. But I was really surprised as I began to sort of study for this message how often the scriptures talk about us being rescued by God or us being rescued by Christ Jesus, that, that we are in this predicament where we are lost and eternally separated and Jesus Christ comes to our rescue. I was looking through the scriptures and it was really amazing to me to see this sort of thing take place. You know, when we think of rescue, we often think of the heroes in our life. We think of the, 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 the men and women who have, who have accomplished this task in so many different ways. But we, we hear a story nearly every week of someone who has saved another one's life. One example of this was a story of the S.S. Pendleton. On February the 18th, 1952, the S.S. Pendleton broke apart in the midst of a, a terrible storm off the coast of Massachusetts. And there were 32 people that were clinging on for dear life. In fact, the storm was so great that the Coast Guard would not send anyone out. They could not order anyone to go out. The conditions were just too bad. But there was a man named Bernard Weber and three other men who volunteered to go anyway. And so they set out into this storm with 60-foot waves. I can't even imagine a 60-foot wave, but 60-foot waves and 70-mile-an-hour winds. And they went out, and they rescued these 32, and they brought them to dry ground. That's what we typically think of when we think of a rescue. In the Coast Guard's history, there's never been a greater example of, hero, uh, of heroes going out and rescuing the lives or saving the lives of others. But the Bible here speaks of a different kind of rescue. One that deals with our souls. It's a rescue of, of our very soul. The Bible teaches this, and we see this all throughout Scripture. Uh, one of the passages that I love is, is found in Psalm 71, verse 2, where David acknowledges God's capacity to rescue our souls when he writes these words. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. And so here we see this, this idea of God coming to the rescue for the sake of our souls. Uh, we, we read in Galatians 1.4 where Paul tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And so here we see this, this idea, this, this, this reality that Jesus is our rescuer. I don't know about you before today, I've never really thought in terms of Jesus coming to my rescue. I've always identified him as my savior. I've never really looked at him as my hero. But, but in this regards, we see Jesus is capable of this rescue. He is the only one who is capable to come out and save us from our sins. And so we see this unfold. We see this sort of playing out. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross to rescue us from eternal death. Without him, honestly, we're doomed. You know, I thought about, about what the word is teaching us in all of this. 
And I thought, why wouldn't there be people who would want to identify Jesus as their rescuer? You know, I, I wrote down a couple of problems, I guess, with humanity recognizing Jesus as the rescuer. Uh, I, I, maybe there's more, but these are the two basic ones, I believe. I think that many times people don't recognize Jesus as the rescuer because they don't think they're in need of being rescued. You know, one of the hardest places to go and, uh, with the gospel and see people come to Christ is where when you go into a country or a community where everybody seems to have all their needs met. They go into a, you go into a place where, where people just seem to, to have it all together and, and it's in those places that oftentimes people don't recognize the need for a savior. They don't recognize the need for someone to rescue them. I, I've literally had people while on the mission field sharing the gospel say, I don't need any of that in my life. But the scriptures tell us something else in 1 John 1 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so the reality is the Bible speaks that we are all sinners who are in desperate need of salvation. But the truth is that many people just don't recognize that about their life. Another reason why people may not, may not recognize Jesus as a rescuer or identify him as their rescuer is because they have gotten to a place where they feel like they're too far gone to be rescued. This is a sad reality in our world today, and we probably all have friends who feel as though they've made so many poor choices in their life and there's been so much sin in their life that Jesus wouldn't possibly want to save them. But I believe that is not to be the case. I believe that, that what we see in Scripture is something that is very comforting to us concerning that reality. And maybe some of us are here today and, and, and we're here in church because we know that Jesus is the answer. But maybe we're here today and having convinced ourselves that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us. I hope that you would look with me and find comfort in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11 and 12, where we read these words. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. My friends, Jesus is capable of rescue. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus is capable of rescuing your soul. Could we just thank Jesus this morning? I mean, I just... You know, I'm just so encouraged reading through the Scripture and seeing this Word. I wanted to bring you like 40 passages that I found this word rescue in and, and studying for this. It was really challenging to figure out which ones to use because I just never had really seen Jesus in that capacity before. But here we see that Jesus is very capable of this. Jesus is also capable to redeem. He's also capable to redeem. I love this word redeem. If we look at how to define what it means to redeem, it basically means gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or the clearing of a debt. 
And so that would mean for us then, a redeemer is someone who comes to deliver someone from trouble by paying off their debt. And we see that Jesus is capable of this. Jesus is sufficient in this. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for our sin. Jesus is the only one who is capable of paying the price and becoming our redeemer. And so here we see in the scripture as we continue to look through this, Luke 1, 68 reminds us, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. How did he do that? By sending his only begotten son who would come to this earth and walk on this earth, living his life sinless, going to the cross. And it was there that he would suffer and die on the cross, having his blood shed for us for the atonement of our sins. He paid the price for our salvation. He is our redeemer. And so here we look at this you see, the blood sacrifice had to be accomplished. Hebrews 9, 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is pured with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You know, it breaks my heart every time to think of my Savior dying on the cross the way he did, but I also find myself being so thankful that he was willing to pay the price that I could never pay. He is my redeemer. For many of you here today, he is your redeemer. For some of you here today, he can be your redeemer. He has paid the price for our sins. 1 Corinthians uh, 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And finally, I want to sort of point this out to us. That not only is Jesus capable of rescuing us, not only is Jesus capable of redeeming us, but he is also capable to restore. Restoration is one of the greatest needs that we have in our life. In fact, most of us will live out our life seeing multiple times in our life where there is great need of restoration. Some of us will live out our life where, where we find ourselves in conflict with someone we love. We find ourselves in a broken relationship or a broken marriage. And oftentimes, there's a great need for restoration to take place. Some of us find ourselves in a place where we are so discouraged and so much in despair that we feel as though the joy in our heart has been robbed, that there's no longer any happiness. And so the greatest need in our life, and for so many of us, this happens, seems to happen all the time, the greatest need in our life is for the restoration of joy in our life. Some of us here uh, are maybe longing for the restoration of peace in our life. Restoration is one of the greatest needs that we have. But no doubt, no doubt the gospel is about restoration. In fact, the story of Jesus Christ is a story of restoration where humanity is separated from a holy God because of their sin. We are found to be in a very unrighteous place, but because of Christ Jesus going to the cross and dying on that cross and the shedding of his blood and being buried in a tomb and rising from the grave, having victory over sin and death in three days, because of all that, because of this gospel story of Jesus, 
We can be made right with God. In other words, our relationship can be restored with God. We can be made righteous through Christ Jesus. The gospel is a story of restoration. I remember a time in my life, and many of you know that, that I, I look at my dad as one of the, my best friends in my whole life. And, and, uh, and, and one of the things that, that we have always done is just, just known that we are very close. But there wasn't always the case in my life. There was a time in my life right after high school where I went to my dad and, and, and I, was, I was telling him about something I wanted to do and, and he disagreed with me and, and suddenly conflict sort of broke out and there was, there was disagreement and, and because of the stubbornness of who I was at that time in my life, I walked away from my dad vowing never to speak to him again. And I walked away from him and for over a year and a half, I didn't say a word to my dad. I never called my dad. I never sought restoration in that relationship, even though I knew it to be one of the most important relationships in my life. And I'll never forget the day. I was living in Houston, Texas, and I went out to get the mail. And when I got the mail out of there, I started shifting through the mail, and I realized that I had a letter from my dad. My dad had done nothing to me. I was the one who was living in sin. I was the one who was being stubborn. I was the one who was, who was just being rebellious toward this relationship. I was the one who was at fault here. And I opened up this letter and, and, and tears began to hit the pages as I read this letter from my dad as he poured out his heart and he said to me, son, whatever I have done to you, he says, I am sorry because the greatest need in my life is for our relationship to be restored. I'll never forget how quickly I packed my bags and I jumped in my car and I drove all the way to Statesboro, Georgia from Houston, Texas so that I could embrace my dad. Restoration. It's one of the greatest moments of my life with my earthly father. But I am so thankful that I have a heavenly father that sent his son who sent his son to die on the cross that my relationship would be restored with him. What we see is that Jesus is capable. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12 says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Would you allow that to just sink in here this morning? As we look at the Word of God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here the psalmist is, is crying out to God. He's pleading with God for restoration in his life. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know what's so amazing about that passage is that a prayer like that will always result in restoration. The scriptures teach us that God is a faithful God. Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3. I'm glad this message is almost over because my voice is about gone. Psalm 
Psalm 23, very familiar psalm to us all. Verses 1 through 3 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How many of you are thankful that Jesus is your shepherd? That Jesus is capable. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He restores my soul. The promise of God's Word. You know, at the beginning of this message, I I said one of our deepest convictions is that no matter what sermon is being preached, no matter what song is being sung, no matter what prayer we're praying for us as a church, that we are praying, we are hoping, we are longing. We are longing that our hearts and our affections would be stirred and drawn closer to Christ. And that through everything that we do, every message that we preach, that we are being shaped and molded into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for us today. That's my prayer for each and every one of us in this place today. This morning, you may be in a place in your life where you need rescue. You need someone to come to your rescue. And though a faith family can be there for you in a lot of different ways, Jesus is the only one that could fully rescue you and your soul. I pray that this morning, if you are in need of rescue, that you would turn to Jesus. Maybe for some of us here today, the greatest need in our life is is a redeemer. To recognize Jesus as the one who has paid the price. The price has already been paid. He died on the cross. His blood was shed. Maybe for some of us here today, the greatest need in our life is a redeemer, or maybe for some of us here today, the greatest need in our life is restoration. I pray that as I wrap up this service in prayer and our band comes and leads us in that last song, that whatever your need, that you would be faithful to respond. Our pastors will be down front, and if you would like to come and Speak to them or have them pray with you. They are here for you. I am here for you on the front row. We are here for you even after the service is over. We are here for you to help walk you through whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life or whatever need that you think you may have in your life. We are here to help you discover Jesus. This altar will be open. And this is a beautiful place to come, to step away from our comfort zone, to come and to pray for redemption, to come and pray for restoration, 
to come and pray for the redemption and restoration of our family and our friends, those loved ones that we have that we are hurting for. This altar is a perfect place to come and to offer up our prayers to God. Or maybe for us, some of us, the greatest, greatest act of worship is to sing this last song with all that we have, believing in our hearts every word that we sing, and celebrating Jesus as the one who is capable of all things. So let me pray for us, and then let us respond to a Savior who loves us so much. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your presence in our life. Lord, how every day you, God, you just continue to amaze us. Father, we recognize that we are desperate for you, that we are in desperate need of you. Father, we recognize that our, our nation is in need of you. Father, we acknowledge that so often we place so much faith in the people that are leading us in our country and that there is a greater need for us to place our faith in a holy and righteous God who is sovereign and on the throne who reigns. Father, I pray that as a, as a faith family, as a body of Christ, God, that we would be faithful to remember that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, that we would not be discouraged or even encouraged by just the world events that take place around us. But God, we would be encouraged by the reality that we as children of God have the, the ability to follow and to walk with the one who is capable. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for being willing to send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk on this earth, to live among us, and to send to the cross to die a death for us. Father, we are thankful. We celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.